Acts chapter 20, and I'd like to begin by reading verses 6 through 12. We're going to continue in our series on from Passover, how did we get from Passover to Easter, and we're going to begin Acts 26 through 12 from the King James Version today. Praise Yahweh. The Bible says, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. So far in this series, we've covered the keeping of the Passover in both the Old and the New Testaments. And we looked at the word Easter in Acts chapter 12, verse 4, in the 1611 King James Version. Much to Brother Matthew's surprise, study has shown me that the word Easter was a word that was originally used by German Anglo-Saxon Christians to refer to the Hebrew Pesach, what we now call Passover. It was a bit crazy to me when I discovered this. I remember sitting at my computer for the first time that I read the history about this, and I was shaking my head because I had thought differently for the last 20 years than I do now. But I'm thankful that Yahweh has patience with us and that he let me believe wrongly on this for 20 years. And now he's shown me a little bit more light on this issue. A word that is today a reference to a Christian holiday separate from the Passover was originally a word that was synonymous with the Passover. Now, don't miss that this proves, what this proves is that the only use of the word Easter in the King James Bible is a reference to the Passover. This means we have no reference to Easter Sunday anywhere in the Bible. It's not there. So what about Easter Sunday? Well, today I'd like to begin looking at the actual Christian holiday of Easter Sunday. When did this begin? Is there any evidence in the New Testament that the earliest Christians celebrated an annual holiday on a first day of the week commemorating the resurrection of our Messiah? Now, I realize that Easter Sunday is a huge deal in Christianity today, and I'll show in a future lesson that such a practice does originate in the second century A.D., but even this early evidence for some type of Easter Sunday is about 100 years removed from the time of Yeshua, the Messiah. 
It's not found in the scriptures, but it rather developed over the first 100 years of the Christian faith in some Christian communities, not all, in some. The earliest Christians may have commemorated Yeshua's resurrection on a first day of the week. But I believe such a commemoration was originally on what is known as Wave Sheaf Day or First Fruits Day. This is a day that always came after the Sabbath day. And it was tied to Yahweh's holy days in Leviticus chapter 23. I can't tell you how many times over the last 20 years that modern Christians find out that I don't celebrate Easter Sunday and one of the most common replies that I get is, so you don't believe in the resurrection. And I then get to explain the day of first fruits during the Feast of Unleavened Bread as the day that I commemorate Yeshua's resurrection. Matter of fact, one of the first things I say when somebody asks me that is I say, oh no, I'm firmly a believer in the resurrection of our Messiah of Christ. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So, seeing that I can't find anything in the New Testament about Easter Sunday, what I decided to do in the next two sermons, this sermon and next week, is open with Acts 26 through 12. This is a text that speaks of the Apostle Paul fellowshipping with the Christians in Troas. And it's a text that many in Christianity have used to prove a regular, reoccurring, weekly, first day of the week church service. This particular first day of the week happened in the springtime of the year, shortly after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now we know this because Acts 20 verse 6, which we just read, mentions the days of unleavened bread. Then in Acts 20 verse 7, it mentions the first day of the week. So we're going to do some exegesis in Acts 20 today and next Sabbath as well. I think that Acts 20 verse 7 is probably the best text or the best shot that someone has for showing something resembling Easter Sunday in the Bible. However, I believe that it falls short from proving anything about Easter Sunday. And I also believe it falls short in proving a regular reoccurring weekly first day church service. We'll begin in verse 6, Acts chapter 20. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. So Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He wrote Luke and also Acts. And he writes, we, speaking of him and Paul, sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. According to Hebrew scripture, the days of unleavened bread take place in the month or the moon of Abib, which is the first month of the Hebrew calendar around the time of the spring equinox. It's the month that we're currently in as I'm teaching this lesson today. Leviticus 23 verses 5 through 8 tells us that Yahweh's Passover takes place on the 14th day of the first month between the evenings. And then on the 15th day of the first month, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days from Abib 15 through Abib 21. Well, in Acts 20 and 6, Luke and Paul sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. This could have been as early as Abib 22, but we're not specifically told that in the text. We're not told it was the day immediately after the feast week. 
I assume from reading the verse that Paul spoke of shortly after, or Luke wrote of shortly after the days of unleavened bread. But the text just says after, not one day after. I'm going to put forth to you a scenario using one day after as a starting point. This is very important as we move on to the end of the sermon. So on the chart on the screen, we have the month of Abib. That's the first Hebrew month on the calendar. And then we have also on the bottom, we have part of the month of Zeph, which is the second month on the Hebrew calendar. Passover, the 14th, is in yellow, and the days of unleavened bread, 15th through 21st, are in red. At the earliest, Paul sailed away from Philippi on the 22nd day of Abib and then came to Troas in five days, placing his arrival in Troas on Abib 26th. Acts 20 verse 6 then tells us that Paul and Luke stayed in Troas for seven days. He said, where we abode seven days, which could be counted from Abib 26, their arrival, to Troas, all the way through to Zeph the second, if the month of Abib had 30 days that year. This would place Paul's fellowship on the evening as the new moon ended, and then he would have left at dawn the morning of Zeph 2, Acts 20, verse 11. We read a second ago. Once again, this is speculation. Now, I believe that it's educated speculation, but I must admit that the text is not this detailed. My main point here is to show that at the earliest, the account recorded in Acts 27 through 12 took place at the beginning of the second month or moon on the Hebrew calendar. While my counting of these days is speculation, it could shift later. That's speculation, speculative. My assertion that this was at the earliest, the second month, early in the second month, that's not speculation. This is the earliest that Acts 20 verse 7 could have occurred. It could have occurred later in the second month. That's a possibility. But the days that are specified in Acts 20 verse 6 make it no earlier than the beginning of the second month. And the reason being is because we have a pinpoint where they sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. At the earliest, that would be Abib the 22nd. Now you may ask, why is this significant, Brother Matthew? Well, here's why. Let's begin to unwrap this. The next verse is Acts 20, verse 7. It says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I want you to notice on the screen that it was the first day of the week, but it was the night portion after the new moon day that this gathering took place in this scenario. There were many markers in our opening text that showed us that this was a gathering that took place at night. Remember a man named Eutychus fell asleep. Brother TJ used to call me Eutychus because when we would have gatherings at his house or my house, I would fall asleep. <laughs> We'll get more on that next week, but it was a night gathering. Now, the phrase, first day of the week, in Greek is mia ton sabaton. And this is a phrase that is much debated in Torah-keeping circles. Many Torah keepers, like ourselves, claim that the phrase is mistranslated in the King James Bible or in the English Bible and should say something like, first of the Sabbaths or one of the Sabbaths. They claim that Acts 20 verse 7 actually took place on a Sabbath and not on the first day of the week. This is a very prevailing interpretation 
in Messianic Hebrew roots, Torah-keeping circles. I do not agree with that understanding. I believe that the King James Bible is correct in saying first day of the week. I believe it's a reference to the day after the Sabbath day, or in our case, the new moon day. William Tyndale, in his 1526 New Testament, he kind of paraphrases Acts 20, verse 7. He writes, and on the morrow after the Sabbath day, and then John Wycliffe, translating in the late 1300s A.D., gives the phrase as, and in the first day of the week. And many modern-day scholarly committee-led translations, such as the Revised Standard Version, New American Standard Bible, English Standard Version, and the Lexham English Bible, translate the phrase, first day of the week. These scholars are not dumb men. It is an accurate translation. So why do many Torah keepers try to say the phrase is mistranslated? Well, the claim begins by looking at the Greek word behind week here, the word sabaton. The Greek word sabaton is often translated as Sabbath in the King James Bible or Sabbaths in the King James Bible. But it is additionally translated as week in certain New Testament passages. I've heard that Torah keepers say week is a mistranslation. One guy I listened to this week on YouTube said that the King James jacked up the translation. I consider him a brother, but he didn't study long enough. But they say this because the Greek word sabaton is most often translated as Sabbath in the King James Bible. Now, here's the problem that these people have, our brothers, our friends, ones that we love. The problem is, is that they do not recognize that the word sabaton, like the majority of Greek and Hebrew and even English words, carry more than one meaning. And it all depends on the context in which the word is used. Sabaton in Greek, in the Greek New Testament, can refer to a Sabbath day. But it can also refer to the interval between two Sabbaths, or a week. In other words, the first day of the week is one to the Sabbath, miaton sabaton. The second day of the week is two to the Sabbath. The third day of the week is three to the Sabbath. Nowhere in Scripture do the Hebrews assign any names to the days of the week. Now, mind you, I was talking with somebody last after last uh, service we had here about the names Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Those names, obviously not in the English language, but those planetary names for the more modern planetary week existed during the time of our Messiah in the Julian calendar. Okay, But the scriptures never call the days of the week after those planetary names. Now, I believe it's because the biblical week is different than the planetary week. But they were called 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then there were names for day 6 and day 7. Day 6's name was Preparation Day. Day 7's name was Shabbat, or Sabbath. Now, Strong's Concordance gives part of the definition for Sabbaton as the interval between two Sabbaths, and Thayer's lexicon gives this under the number two definition of sabaton, seven days a week. Now, listen carefully. Both James Strong and Henry Thayer list the Sabbath 
or Sabbaths, plural, as the primary definition of the Greek word sabaton. I mean, you say that Greek word sabaton and you can hear a transliteration from Hebrew into Greek, right? That's the primary definition of sabaton. But both of these scholars list the entire week, the interval between two Sabbaths, as a secondary definition of the word sabaton. As a matter of fact, Mr. Thayer gives Mark 16.2 and Luke 18.12 as two examples of this secondary use in the New Testament. And I would like to look at both of them in this lesson. The first is Mark 16.1-2, reading out of the KJV. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Now, the phrase first day of the week here in Mark 16.2 is the exact same phrase as in Acts chapter 20 when the disciples came together to break bread. Mia ton sabaton. Notice here that this first day of the week comes when the Sabbath was passed. Verse 1. It makes no sense to translate the phrase in verse 2 as first of the Sabbaths or a Sabbath day if the Sabbath had just passed. It was rather one to the Sabbath or we may put a little italicized word in there, day one to the Sabbath. Sometimes we throw off on all the italicized words in the KJV or in other translations. Sometimes they mess us up. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they are good understandings. Okay, So don't just automatically throw them away. You see italics and say, no, it shouldn't be in there. The translators sometimes are trying to give us a better understanding of what's taking place in the text. So here in Mark 16, 1 through 2, I have the interlinear on the screen from my house. We have both uses. This is pretty cool. We have both uses of the Greek word sabaton in two verses. In verse 1, it's translated as Sabbath. When the Sabbath was passed, that's the Greek word sabaton. It's translated as Sabbath in the KJV. Seeing that in Mark 15.42, a few verses before Mark 16.1, it mentions the preparation day and it calls it the day before the Sabbath day. That was the day Yeshua was crucified on preparation day. Then in verse 2, the exact same Greek word, sabaton, a little bit different tense, but same Greek word, 45.21 in the Greek Dictionary of Strong's, it's translated as week and very early on the first day of the week. And the reason it's translated as first day of the week in verse 2 is because the Sabbath they had just passed in verse 1. Now, this is a common reply that you'll get if you show somebody this from an interlinear, what they're going to say if they're a Torah keeper and they've got a little bit of wisdom about them, they'll say that what it really should say is first of the Sabbaths instead of first day of the week. First of the Sabbaths is a better translation in Mark 16 too, because, Brother Matthew, what you don't understand is it references the first day in counting the seven Sabbaths to Pentecost. Now, I don't disagree that this particular day in Mark 16, too, I don't disagree that it's the first day in counting the Sabbaths to Pentecost because it is the morrow after the first Sabbath in the unleavened bread week. But I want you to notice something. The first day in counting the Sabbaths to Pentecost is the first day of the week. How you count your first Sabbath is you start with day one of the week and day two of the week and day three of the week. 
So you could translate this legitimately as first of the Sabbath, but it's still talking about the first day of the week. Now transfer this understanding back to Acts 20 and verse 7, which contains the exact same phrase, miaton sabbaton. Remember I told you that the calendar calculation was important in Acts 20, that the earliest, the earliest that Acts 20 and 7 took place was early second month. Well, Acts 20 verse 7 could not be the first day in counting the Sabbath to Pentecost. It's impossible. Because I've shown how the earliest Acts 20 and 7 is, is early second moon. And early second moon, if we know our biblical calendar, early second moon is too late to start counting the Sabbaths to Pentecost. You start counting the Sabbaths to Pentecost in the first moon, about midway in the first moon on Abib 16. Some groups span it out towards the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's still first moon. I think it's always on Abib 16. So that doesn't work. But some say that the phrase should be one of the Sabbaths in Acts 20 verse 7 because they don't like it that it says first day of the week, so they, I believe that they're trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. That's what I, that's my belief. And they recognize here, one of the Sabbaths, that the Greek word mia and miaton sabaton can be translated as either one or first. And that's true. The word mia sometimes is translated as one. Sometimes it's first. And don't you see how those words are interrelated? Like if I count one, two, three, the one that I count as one is the first. So the words are interrelated there in the English. Either way it could go. But I still think that comparing Acts 20 and 7 with Mark 16 verse 2 shows that the phrase miaton sabaton is better understood as one to the Sabbath as in the first day of the week. Furthermore, let's not forget Mr. Thayer's other citation of this use of sabaton, this secondary definition for sabaton in the Greek New Testament. Luke 18, verse 12. We'll begin reading at verse 11 to get a little bit of context. Luke 18, 11 through 12. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, Elohim, Almighty, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. This is a terrible prayer, by the way. <laughs> Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. The man who prayed this way did not go home justified, if you read the parable. But listen to what the Pharisee says in verse 12. He's bragging about himself. He says, I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now this is Yeshua's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying to the Father. And one of the things that the Pharisee mentions in his prayer is, I fast twice in the week. Now the word week here is the Greek word sabaton. Same word as in Mark 16 too. Same word as in Acts 20 verse 7. Now surely the Pharisee isn't bragging, I fast twice in the Sabbath. That doesn't even make sense. The Sabbath's only one day. Is the Pharisee perhaps saying, I fast twice in the Sabbaths? The seven Sabbaths counting to Pentecost? Well, that's not much fasting to be bragging about. That's only two out of 49 days. That's not a whole lot of fasting. You know what makes the most sense? Exactly how your English Bible translates it. I fast twice in the week. Sabbaton, the interval between two Sabbaths, two weekly Sabbath days. That's fasting two days out of seven days. That's a pretty good bit of fasting. That's what the Pharisee is bragging about here. 
See, Luke 18, 12 is another place in the New Testament where the word sabbaton is used in its secondary sense of the interval between two Sabbaths or a whole week. So let's sum up Acts 20, verse 7. We'll close this lesson out, and I'll pick this back up next week, next Sabbath. I believe that the best way to understand Acts 20 and 7 is that it took place, this gathering took place on the first day of the week. If we can prove, catch this now, if we can prove that a particular translation of the Bible is not best or accurate by comparing it to other legitimate scholarly translations, that's one thing, and sometimes that's the case, but to just up and claim a bogus translation and say that it's jacked up in the King James Bible because you halfway looked at Strong's Concordance, that's not being honest with the text. Let me tell you something. I watched a video yesterday, and it was very frustrating. This is the word of Yahweh. This is to be handled with care and with fear. We're talking about everlasting life. We're not talking about any kind of fanciful thing, any kind of made-up thing, a fairy tale, some kind of ride we get on and off. We're talking about everlasting life. If somebody is not going to handle this word with fear and with care, then they don't need to handle it at all. Take care in your studies. Let me tell you something. You're still, when you take care, you're still going to get things wrong. But if you take care and you have fear, you're not going to get on the internet and say things like jacked up translation when you halfway look to something. See, it's very serious. I take it very seriously. We're dealing with everlasting life, brothers and sisters. What we have here in Acts 20 is a first day of the week gathering. It's shortly after the days of unleavened bread. This is too far away. Catch this now. It's too far away from what would be called Easter Sunday or in early centuries it wasn't called that. In early centuries it was called the Christianos Pascha or the Christian Passover. Some early Christians celebrated Pascha or Passover on the first day of the week that came after Abib 14. Now there's nothing in the Bible telling us to do that. I'll develop that next week and then in the next Sabbath service as well. I'll develop that more. But this is what happened. If you recall in part two of this series, I mentioned this about some of the early Christians keeping Pasha on the Sunday or the first day after the 14th day of Abib. But see, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 is too far removed from that date because it's in the second moon, not the first moon. So Acts 20 and 7 does not fit the Christian Easter Sunday model. And strike that, put an X on that. But I don't believe that Acts 20 and 7 fits a Sunday model or a first day model in general either. What I'll begin arguing for in the next sermon is this. Acts 20 and 7 is not a model for a habitual first day church service, but it is rather an out of the ordinary gathering that took place in the nighttime and when all night long, the Christians at Troas organized a fellowship meal to discuss the scriptures with the Apostle Paul because everybody knew he was going to leave the next morning. And they wanted to spend as much time with the Apostle as they could. Imagine if we lived back there and the Apostle Paul or Peter or one of them came to visit our assembly. And we knew, let's say we knew he was going to leave tomorrow morning. Well... I don't know about you guys, but I spend all night here with him. 
and I'd ask him questions and get him to tell me many answers. Ooh, it would be a great thing. I think about talking with the prophets and the apostles all the time. I can't wait. So I believe that's what happened in Acts 20, verse 7. I'll close with this. It's similar to something that we do around here after the Feast of Tabernacles. After the last Sabbath service that closes out the Feast of Tabernacles, that eighth day, that great eighth day, after that Sabbath service, several of us are accustomed, usually every year, to going out to eat in the evening, which is the first day of the week, knowing that we'll all be parting ways the next morning, especially with people that are from out of town, that have driven 10, 15, 20 hours to keep the feast. We want to spend as much time together on that last night, the first day of the week. Some of them stayed up this past Feast of Tabernacles almost till morning here, talking scripture, having a good time, fellowshipping. We break bread, which is a phrase that means, can mean, a fellowship meal, common meal. We discuss scripture and oftentimes stay up late doing so. And I think that this is a modern day example of what took place in the congregation of Troas in Acts 27 through 12. I'll develop this more in the next service. If you didn't catch all of that, I'll have it on YouTube where you can watch it with all the slides. You can pause it, you can get your Bible out, and you can go behind this preacher and make sure that what I said was so. So let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Before we do, let me say this. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may Yahweh lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. You're great. Your name is greatly to be praised. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for a good understanding. You say in your word of good understanding, have all they that do your commandments. Father, I pray that you continue to bless us with wisdom and knowledge. I pray that you'd give us a proper knowledge on the way and the days that we are to come approach you and worship. Father, we, I believe we, we want to do what's right. And I pray, Yahweh, that you would fine-tune us and help us in our studies. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the Christians at Troas that had such a hunger for the word that they sat there all night long. And thank you for bringing Eutychus back to life. We praise you, Father. We thank you. It's all through your son, Yeshua. So let it be done. Hallelujah.